The English Language by Logan Pearsall Smith, Chapter Two, Part Two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Foreign Elements, Part Two. This short account of the Greek element in English must suffice for the present, although the enormous influence of Greek on our language is by no means to be measured by the number of Greek words in English for a very large part of our vocabulary of thought and culture comes from greece by way of literal translations into latin of these words we shall speak when we come to the history of thought and culture and in that division of our subject we can best treat of our later borrowings from modern languages such as dutch and spanish and all the travellers words brought into english from indian african and american languages there remain, however, three other elements of early English, the Celtic, the Scandinavian, and the Teutonic words that have come to us through French or Italian channels. It is one of the puzzles of English philology that so very few words of Celtic origin have been adopted into the language. The Teutonic invaders found and conquered a Celtic race dwelling in England, there is evidence to show that the conquered race was not entirely massacred, but that a large portion of it was united with the conquerors, and yet the number of Celtic words adopted into English before the 12th century is less than a dozen, and several of these were probably imported from Ireland or the continent. Bin and Dun, D-U-N, a colour, Coom, C-O-O-M-B, a small valley, and one or two more words are the only ones that seem to have been derived from the native British, and down, D-O-W-N, a hill, may have been borrowed from them, or perhaps brought by the Anglo-Saxons into England. Since 1200, more words have been adopted from Irish or Scotch Gaelic, but most of these, like brogue, bog, galore, pillion, shamrock, are a fairly recent introduction. And it is certainly very curious that no word of any great importance has been borrowed by the English from their Welsh-speaking neighbours. Many more Celtic words have come into our language indirectly through French channels. The Romans borrowed a few Celtic terms. The original inhabitants of Gaul were Celts, the Bretons still speak a Celtic language, and from these sources a number of Celtic words have found their way into French, and from French into English. Among these words of probable or possible Celtic origin may be mentioned battle, beak, bray of a donkey, budget, car, and its derivatives, career, cargo, cark, carry, cart, charge, chariot, etc. Carpenter, gravel, league, mutton, tan, truant, valet, varlet, vassal. Many more words than these are commonly given as being of Celtic origin, but the tendency of modern scholarship is to decrease the number of Celtic words in English, and even in the above list many are considered to be very doubtful, one curious and charming form is found in the Irish English with which we have been delighted lately, namely a literal translation of Celtic idioms into English. 
as in such phrases as is herself at home is it reading you are he interrupted me and i writing my letters the french not only brought us a number of celtic words but an even larger number of native teutonic terms came back to our teutonic speech through french channels words that we had lost words that had arisen in germany after our ancestors came to england or frenchified forms which supplanted the anglo-saxon words derived from the same source the teutonic barbarians who served in the roman armies added some words to the latin language the franks who conquered france and gave their name to that country the gothic and burgundian invaders enriched the french language with many terms of war of feudalism and of sport and finally the norman conquerors of the eleventh century added a few terms mostly nautical of their original scandinavian speech such as equip flounder the fish and perhaps the verb to sound nearly three hundred teutonic words altogether have come to us from french sources and form no inconsiderable or unimportant addition to the language moreover if we compare these travelled words with their stay-at-home relations we can in many cases see what richness of meaning they have gained by being steeped in the great romance civilization of europe park for instance is a teutonic word ennobled by french usage far beyond the meaning of its humble native cousin paddock blue by passing through southern mines has acquired a brilliance not to be found in our dialect ble b l a e of dark and dingy colour our bench has become through italian the bank of finance and has given rise to banquet and among other homely old german words thus embellished by their foreign travels may be mentioned dance garden gaiety salon harbinger gonfalon banner and herald the other great teutonic addition to the english language is that from scandinavian sources when the danes came to england they brought with them a language now called old norse which was closely related to anglo-saxon many of the words however were different and a large number of these were ultimately taken into english as however our earliest english literature was almost all written in the dialect of the south where the danes did not settle but few scandinavian words appear in english before the twelfth century when however the language of the midlands and the north where there were large danish settlements began to be written the strong infusion of scandinavian elements became apparent and from the northern dialects which abound in old norse words standard english has ever since been borrowing terms a great army of them appear in the thirteenth century words so strong and vigorous as to drive out their anglo-saxon equivalents as take and cast replaced the anglo-saxon niman n i m a n and weopan w e o r p a n and raise has driven the old english rear 
into the archaic language of poetry. Even when the English words have survived, they have sometimes been assimilated to the Scandinavian form, as in words like give and sister. Other familiar words of Scandinavian origin are call, fellow, get, hit, leg, low, L-O-W, root, same, skin, want, wrong. The familiar everyday and useful carriage of these words shows how great is the Danish influence on the language and how strongly the Scandinavian element persisted when the two races were amalgamated. This drifting into standard English of Scandinavian words from northern dialects still goes on. The following words are possibly of Scandinavian origin and have made their appearance from dialects into literary English at about the dates which are appended to them. Below, 1552. To Batten, 1591. Clumsy, 1597. Blight, 1619. Doze, 1647. Gill, or G-H-Y-L-L. A steep ravine, Wordsworth, 1787. A beck, a stream, Southey, 1795. To nag, 1835 and to scamp 1837 it is from these and some other minor sources to be mentioned later that english has derived its curiously mixed character and the great variety and richness of its vocabulary no purist has ever objected to the teutonic words that have come to us from scandinavian or french sources but the upsetting of so large a part of the French, Latin and Greek vocabularies into English speech is a more or less unique phenomenon in the history of language, and its supposed advantages or disadvantages have been the subject of much discussion. Writers who attempt to criticise and estimate the value of different forms of speech often begin with an air of impartiality, but soon arrive at the comfortable conclusion that their own language, owing to its manifest advantages, its beauties, its rich powers of expression, is, on the whole, by far the best and noblest of all living forms of speech. The Frenchman, the German, the Italian, the Englishman, to each of whom his own literature and the great traditions of his national life are most dear and familiar, cannot help but feel that the vernacular in which these are embodied and expressed is and must be, superior to the alien and awkward languages of his neighbours, nor can he easily escape the conclusion that in respect to his own speech, whatever has happened has been an advantage, and whatever is, is good. It will be as well, therefore, in regard to this question of a mixed vocabulary, to state as impartially as is humanly possible the considerations on which the two opposing ideals are based. The ideal of a pure language, built up as much as possible on native sources, and that of a comprehensive speech, borrowing words from other nations. Let us begin with the ideal of purity, which in many European languages, such as German, Bohemian and modern Greek, 
is leading to determined efforts to keep out foreign words and to drive out those that have already been adopted. The upholders of this ideal maintain that extensive borrowing from other nations is a proof of want of imagination and a certain weakness of mental activity, that a people who cannot or do not take the trouble to find native words for new conceptions show thereby the poverty of their invention and the weakness of their speech feeling. The desire to use foreign terms comes, these patriots of language believe, partly also from vanity, to show one's familiarity with foreign culture, and they claim that the use of native compounds for abstract ideas is a great advantage, as it enables even the uneducated to obtain some notion of the meaning of these high terms. They maintain, moreover, that just as an old-fashioned farmer prided himself on procuring the main stables of life from his own farm and garden, and found a fresher taste in the fruit and vegetables of his own growing, so we find in words which are the product of our own soil and are akin to the ancient terms of our speech an intimate meaning and a beauty not possessed by exotic products. These words breed in us a proud sense of the old and noble race from which we are descended. They link the present to the past and carry on the tradition of our nation to the new generations. The main upholders of this view are the modern Germans, who take a great pride in the purity of their language and compare it to that of Greece, which, in spite of the immense influence on it of Eastern civilizations and the great number of ideas and products it borrowed from thence, yet has so strong a feeling for language and so great a pride of race that the Greek of classical times possessed no more than a few hundred words borrowed from other tongues. In Germany, therefore, since the 17th century, a deliberate effort has arisen to make the language still more pure, and societies have been formed for this especial purpose. This movement has grown with the growth of national unity, and a powerful society, the Sprachverein, has been recently founded, and has published handbooks of native words for almost every department of modern life. Although English is so hopelessly mixed a language that any such attempt to purify it would be hopeless, nevertheless the use of Saxon words has often been advocated among us, and even here lists have been suggested of native compounds that might replace some of our foreign terms as steadholder, S-T-E-A-D-H-O-L-D-E-R for lieutenant, Whimwork, W-H-I-M-W-R-K for grotesque, Folkward, F-O-L-K-W-A-R-D for parapet, and Folkwain for omnibus. Those, however, who defend a mixed language like Latin or English maintain that the ideal of purity is really in its essence a political and not a philological one that it is due to political aspirations or resentments, that the Germans desire to banish, with their French words, the memory of the long literary and political domination of France over their native country, that for the same reason the Bohemians wish to rid themselves of German words, the modern Greeks of Turkish terms. 
they hold that the patriots in language are the victims also of a fallacy which all history disproves the fallacy namely that there is some connection between the purity of language and the purity of race that most modern races however pure their language are of mixed origins and that many races speak a tongue borrowed either from their conquerors or from the peoples they have themselves subdued and as we are all a mixed race so our civilization is equally derived from various sources ideas products and inventions spread from one nation to another and finally become the common inheritance of humanity and they hold it therefore a natural process for foreign names to spread with foreign ideas and to form a common vocabulary the beginnings of an international speech in which we can all to some extent at least understand each other an independent nation conscious of its strength and not afraid of being overwhelmed by foreign influences does well therefore in their view to welcome the foreign names of foreign products it does not corrupt but really enriches its language and even when as in english it possesses a multitude of synonyms partly native and partly foreign for more or less the same conceptions this variety of terms is a great advantage for the genius of the language which works more by making use of existing terms than creating them is enabled to give to each a different shade of meaning thus as mr bradley points out the subtle shades of difference of meaning of emotional significance between such pairs of words in english as paternal and fatherly fortune and luck celestial and heavenly royal and kingly could not easily be rendered in any other language while the upholders of this view would admit that the words of saxon origin are as a rule more vivid and expressive they maintain that this expressiveness is largely due to the existence with them of less vivid synonyms from the latin and that these words moreover can be appropriately employed for statements in which we wish to avoid overemphasis a force of diction stronger than the feelings which we wish to express which is a fault of style as reprehensible and often more annoying than inadequate expression the great demand moreover in the age of science is for clearness of thought and precise definition in language rather than for emotional power and it is often an advantage for the expression of abstract ideas to possess terms borrowed for this purpose only from a foreign language which express their abstract meaning and nothing more unhindered by the rich but confusing associations of native etymology from this point of view abstract words like our intuition perception representation are much clearer than their german equivalents osteology and pathology to be preferred to bone law and pain law which have been suggested by saxon enthusiasts to take their place and even for the purposes of poetry and association i believe it is no small gain that the descendants of rude teutonic tribes inhabiting a remote and northern island should become the inheritors of the traditions of the great greek and latin civilization of the south these traditions the rich accumulations of poetic and historic memories are embodied in and cling to 
the great classical words we have borrowed. Magnanimity, omnipotence, palace, contemplate, still give echoes to us of the greatness of ancient Rome, and the arts and lofty thoughts of Greece still live in great Greek words like philosophy, astronomy, poem, planet, idea, and tragedy. These, then, are the two opposing ideals, nationalism in language as against borrowing, a pure as opposed to a mixed language. To those for whom nationalism is the important thing in modern life, and who could wish that their own race should derive its language and thought from native sources, a pure language is the ideal form of speech, while those who regard the great inheritance of European culture as the element of most importance in civilization, will not regret the composite character of the English language, the happy marriage which it shows of North and South, or wish to deprive it of those foreign elements which go to make up its unparalleled richness and variety. End of chapter 2, part 2